Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Roger Hallam, who is a Ph.D. researcher on civil disobedience at King's College London and an organic vegetable farmer, has been a vegan for 34 years. In 2018, he co-founded Extinction Rebellion. He has also just authored a terrific book called Common Sense for the 21st Century. Only nonviolent rebellion can now stop climate breakdown and social collapse. Wonderful title and wonderful book. His website is rogerhallam.com, Roger, H-A-L-L-A-M.com. Roger, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hi. Thanks for coming on. So in your book... You compare those who deny the climate crisis with those who deny the need for nonviolent revolution. Can you explain? The point of the book is to say just about everyone has done the maths by now or heard what the maths is, and it's not looking good on the climate catastrophe front. And uh, that's making people think about how we're going to do something about it. And the argument on my book is that there's so little time to actually respond effectively to the climate and ecological emergency. But it's going to require a completely new form of governance, which is based upon popular democracy. And I guess I'm saying that the people that think that we're going to be able to manage this through the present political system uh, are not going to find that that happens. Let's do it like that. And, and are in denial of, of what ought to be indisputable facts in, in a way somewhat similar to those who deny the, the climate science, right? Yeah, I think we've got denial upon denial upon denial, haven't we? And quite understandably so, because on the one hand, you know, we thought everything was, you know, trundling along in a fairly, you know, okay sort of way, generally speaking. And then about 20, 30 years ago, we, we you know, everyone sort of, vaguely heard about the climate situation and and it's gradually increased on our public consciousness to the point where now we suddenly realise we've got this absolute crisis which could lead to the, you know, uh, collapse of, of societies uh, all around the world and potentially extinction of the human race. So it's a massive change that, is, that has to be gone through for people to accept that reality even though it's a matter of basic science so that's what's coming down the road but yeah what my book's trying to say is once you've got past that that moment uh past that stage of accepting that the next question is what to do about it and of course there's a massive denial around that as well that you know the normal ngos and you know political parties are going to somehow get it their act together and engage in a massive transformation of the economy that's objectively required in order to minimize the possibilities of, of the collapse which is coming. And that simply isn't going to happen um, because it's going to have to happen too fast. And what I'm proposing in the book is the only way it's going to happen in a progressive way is through mass civil disobedience followed by participatory democracy um, through an assembly of ordinary citizens that aren't corrupted by the system or big money and what have you and, um, and actually get on with the job which is what we've got to do. The, the climate denial uh, is famously funded by fossil fuel companies 
who who funds revolution denial who or what keeps in place the idea that we don't need mass uh, nonviolent action and political revolution well I don't think there's some sort of dark force necessarily trying to sort of uh, cover everything up I don't really go in for that sort of that sort of theory of things I think that, you know the fact of the matter is there's lots of different reasons for lots of different things and lots of different reasons for why people want to deny the need for massive disobedience. I mean, not least because it's actually a massive commitment that people have to make. And, you know, you'd rather not have to make a commitment now, even if it means you're going to suffer even more down the line. You know, that's human nature. So, you know, that's the baseline problem. Um, you know, medium-level problem is we've we've had a plan for quite a long time, and it's very difficult to give up on that plan. You know, we all have habits, don't we? You know, you give the £5 screen piece every month for five dollars or whatever and you think you've done your bit and then over the years it gradually dawns on you that that isn't actually going to do the job and the same with the political parties you know in, in in britain all the political parties don't really want to take on the full enormity of it and obviously that's the same in america so it's it's a big it's a big change and it has to, this change has to happen in a very small you know small window and the way it is going to happen, of course, is through um, massive disobedience. That means, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people breaking the law in a peaceful and respectful way, but nevertheless, yeah, breaking the law. And uh, that produces the sort of wake-up call, you might say, that gets society to actually think concretely about its responsibilities, you know, responsibilities to our children and our responsibilities to the environment. Uh, and to our, you know, national heritage. And all all those things are coming into the frame now. Um, this isn't just a matter of, you know, saving polar bears. It's a matter of people's pensions, you know, people's, you know, their child's education, you know, and, and ultimately their security, you know, the value of the houses, and their ability to have a decent standard of living, and, and ultimately whether there's going to be enough food. So... It's a, it's a massive wake-up call, and, you know, I've been on lots of interviews, of course, and, and people are quite horrified uh, at what I say, but, you know, that's, uh, I don't mean what I'm saying is particularly radical or anything, it's simply the state we find ourselves in. And I've, I've used this analogy before, and I'll, I'll say it to you, you know, it's a bit like going to the doctor, you know, you think you're fine, and you go to the doctor and you find out, you know, you've got cancer and it's potentially terminal unless you radically change your lifestyle. Well, you've got two choices, as we all know. And we, you know, most, many of us know people like this. You've got a choice with you. You can deny it and carry on living as you were, or you can decide to actually um, make a big change in your life. But you know, there's no point blaming the doctor, right? You know, it's just the way the way things are. So, yeah, I suppose, great. though, if you came home from the doctor and a lot of people. Uh, pushed you to uh to take teeny little steps that that were were useless uh and uh, denounced the idea of radically changing your lifestyle to save your life uh, there would be a problem i i want to quote a, a statement from your book you you said quote NGOs, political parties, and movements which have brought us through the last 30 years of abject failure, a 60% rise in global CO2 emissions since 1990, are now the biggest block to transformation, end quote. Uh, so, so the idea of continuing uh, in the yeah. same ways is getting in the way, right? 
Yeah, and you know, I want to make clear that I'm, I haven't got any personal animosity towards those people. You know, I, may, I know many of the people that have worked for the last few decades, you know, pursuing that particular methodology of change, as you might say. And, you know, they're great people and they really care about the world and all the rest of it. But the, 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 just because you care about the world and just because you think you're doing something about it doesn't necessarily mean you're being effective. That's, those are two different matters. And, you know, just to continue the analogy with getting cancer and what have you, um, you know, what you just said is correct, right? You can go back into your community, you know, go down to the bar or whatever, and people say, oh, you know, just have another drink or, and, you know, we'll be okay. And, you know, you just need to do a little bit of running, let's say. And, and basically that's what the political parties and the NGOs are saying is, it'll be fine, you know, just send us, you know, a check every month and give us your vote and it will be fine. Well, you know, millions of people are waking up around the world not least in Australia, of course, at the moment, is, is this thing's real and and the political bodies aren't actually going to do anything about it and the NGOs aren't because they their their whole framework is a reformist framework. And, you know, again, I'm quite anything necessarily against reformism. You know, in many contexts, it's good to take a gradual approach and what have you, but that's objectively not the situation now. You know, we're over one degree centigrade of global warming and we're heading towards two, it's more or less locked in if you if you read science, and um, and that's just going to be an absolute disaster, and and you know it's a it's a big it's a big challenge as, as I say, and I, to be honest, I don't know exactly <laughs> I don't know exactly how um, how that uh, that realization is going to come about, but I think you probably maximise the chances of it happening, as I said, through mass disruption, because that's what sort of wakes people up. And of course, as you as you've noted, we were talking about lots of good people, well-meaning people, or at least people who are not sadistic mass murderers. Uh, and yet, you describe the current path of governments uh, in the book uh, as as genocide. In fact, as something far worse than any genocide we've seen. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, facts are facts, aren't they? This isn't rhetoric. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to frighten people in order to get them to do something or whatever. I'm just simply, you know, calling a spade a spade, as they say in the north of England. You know, um, if, if you've got cancer, you've got cancer. No, there's no point beating around the bush on it. And, and um, we're facing a situation that the human race has never faced before, namely that the climate is in the process of breaking down. And, you know, I'm an organic farmer, and, I'm sure many farmers around the world have come to the same conclusion. That if this gets worse, and it will get worse because many of these changes are now locked in, um, we're not going to be able to grow food. And um, if a critical mass of areas of the world aren't able to grow food, then then um, we're facing mass starvation. I mean, this isn't this isn't rocket science, is it? It's like if you haven't got enough food, you're not going to be able to um, you know feed your children and and that also doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. What we also know, you know, from social scientific research, if people get hungry, then you're going to have civil disturbances and ultimately civil wars and breakdowns of states. And that's when you have genocide, a clear connection between the breakdown of states and genocide. And, um, and it's off the scale horrendous. I don't have the words to describe it. I'm sure many people don't. Um, but the issue really is, you know, we can spend the next 15, 20 minutes saying how terrible it is, but at the end of the day, that's not really going to save us. What's going to save us 
just being mature enough to go, this is the situation, we're adults. You know, we have responsibilities to our children, to our communities, to our nation, uh, to our, you know, to our fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and, and or, you know, the people that came before us to continue life on Earth. And there's nothing more basic than that. It's something that anyone with any, you know, reasonable values is going to agree with. Um, so then the next question is, what, what needs to be done, you know? And what I'm saying in the book is, what needs to be done is really clear. Is, is, is mass civil disobedience. And um, that's been shown over and over again to maximise the chance of rapid political change. Now, you know, I also want to say there's no guarantee, right? You know, but we're not talking about guarantees. This isn't not an academic page. You know, when you go to a doctor, you say you can, you know, change your lifestyle, but there's no guarantee you're going to survive. And that's the, that's the situation, no guarantee. So I think it's a matter of choosing what what is best. And that involves, obviously, people coming together to, you know, share their grief and their terror and their, their, their horror about what, what's coming down the line and then combine together and say to the government, you must reduce carbon emissions by set date, by set amount. And Extinction Rebellion is saying zero emissions by 2025, but wherever it is, and, you know, even when they don't do that, then it's time to get on the streets, like, you know, millions of people have done in, in many different situations all around the world over the last few hundred years. This is how, this is how change happens when people get serious. We are speaking with Roger Hallam, who is a co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, and his book is called Common Sense for the 21st Century. Only nonviolent rebellion can now stop climate breakdown and social collapse. Much of the book, Roger, is is a wonderful guide and advice on how to do this uh, mass civil disobedience, civil resistance. And uh, one of the ideas, you can discuss any of the ideas you like, one of the ideas that that interests me a lot is is conditional commitments. Uh, can you describe what that involves and what it offers such a movement? Yeah, well, yeah, we haven't got in, enough time to go through all the, you know, details of, of how to construct successful civil disobedience. As you can imagine, there's more to it than uh, just sitting in the road, if you feel to me. But um, one of the aspects of it is conditional commitment, where, as everyone's aware, the last thing you want to do is engage in a collective activity if no one else is going to do it with you, because, you know, it's pointless. Um, so one way, traditionally, people have done this um, is to say, I will do it if the critical mass of other people do it. So, for instance, like in the UK at the moment, we're probably moving towards some sort of pledge system where we can say, yeah, I'll go down to London for a few days and, you know, peacefully break the law in order to, you know, stand up for my values and, and what have you. Uh, but on the basis that 10,000 people do it with me, and then there will be an online mechanism whereby people commit to that. And when we get 10,000 people, then we'll be off and away. And obviously, 10,000 people is a lot of people. And uh, if they arrest that many people, then it'll be national news. And it'll start having a, a real effect upon public opinion and upon upon the um you know upon the, the government so it's a, it, this is one of the smart ways of, of bringing about change as we as we, as we all know you know you don't want to be doing something but just by yourself right. some people do but most people are going to go i actually want to see if, does this work or not and and this is one of the ways to to, to make it work and you know this connects really with the power of civil disobedience itself 
Yeah, because a lot of people might ask, well, you know, what's the big deal about civil disobedience? Well, in a way, it's similar to a, a labour strike. As everyone knows, you know, labour strikes have been going on for a good 100, 200 years now. And why do they, you know, why do they continually happen? Well, because they work. Now, everyone knows they don't always work. And you can argue whether they're a good idea or not. That's another issue. But the fact of the matter is, is the critical mass of workers decide to stop work for a, for a company in order to get, you know, a reasonable um, rate of pay. Then it's at the end of the day, it's a numbers game and uh, and a matter of money. So the you know if you, if they're not working, then that's going to cost the company money. And at a certain point, the accountant will come in and tell the employers, you know, you better give these people a pay increase, or you'll lose, you know, you'll lose even more money. And then you go in and negotiate, and you know you get a result. And um, that's really what I'm trying to say is, is you're not going to change. Um, the people in power by pleading with them and giving them information and showing them charts and all that sort of stuff. That's, that's all being done now. Not like they don't know. The reason why people aren't, um, you know, in people in power aren't changing the laws is because they're making too much money out of keeping things the way they are, right? And, um, and the way to change that is to make sure they're not making that much money anymore. Uh, and the way to do that is to close down major cities through massive with speeding so people come together and I, that's been done many times in the global south and um, you know and in European countries as well and no one's pretending it's pretty or you want to do it or anything like that but the fact of the matter is it works and at this stage of the emergency that's what works and I should say I don't think talked about this while I was mentioning in case you don't ask me the question but uh, the interesting thing for Americans is you know I I um, um, Tom, Tom Payne, as I'm sure you know, you know, wrote, wrote a book called Common Sense sure. in, uh, before the American War of Independence. And um, I've forgotten the history right, I think it's right. Um, you know, before, before, the, before he wrote this book, you know, Americans were quite sentimental about the British. <laughs> Dare I say it? I was going, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the king will treat us decently and not overtax us and, you know, allow us our liberties. And Thomas, Payne came along uh, seven months in from emigrating from the UK and said, guys, you know, the British Brown is never going to treat you decently because they never do. And the only way you're going to actually have, you know, some self-respect and, and you know, gain true independence is by completely becoming completely independent from, from the UK, uh, from, from, from Britain. And um, 10% of the American population, I think, read it and... And they suddenly woke up and said, yeah, it's a, it's a now or never thing. We're you know, either going to be independent or we're going to carry on having the, the British show a tax book and, you know, have his king telling us what to do. So, you know, the analogy to this time in, in history is, you know, if you want the USA to continue, you know, in its present form, if you want the American Constitution to be maintained and for people to have uh, a reasonable life in the future, then you're going to have to get a move on and and um, change the political regime. That, that's, those, those, those are the alternatives now. It's going to have social collapse or political regime will need to be changed. And you know, it's not a pleasant decision, obviously, but yeah. that's the situation. 
The Constitution may have to be changed. Uh, You know, Extinction Rebellion has uh, caught on in the United States, uh, and I've taken part in, you know, actions in Washington, D.C., shutting down streets for a day, uh, but just just an action for a day, uh, and not, there was no conditional commitment, uh, there wasn't the size we need, uh, or a plan to continue it for multiple days and weeks uh, until we got what we wanted. Um, it, the United States seems to me, uh, as someone who lives in it, like the, the place that is, that is most needed, uh, that if, if Britain and many other countries uh, did right by the natural environment, uh, the climate would still collapse uh, because of the misleadership of the United States. Uh, and yet it seems like a, a, like a very hard place to do the sort of actions you describe. Uh, tougher tougher media. We can't, you know, use use disruptive tactics in our media interviews because there aren't any media interviews. The, the, the tougher police, people are risking felony arrests uh, for standing in a street. Uh, how do yeah, you... Yeah, but I think, I, I, think I, I, I think there's no point complaining, right? You know, there's a lot nope. of left-wing people spend a lot of time complaining. So my message is stop complaining and stop organizing, right? You know, the situation is the situation. You know, has been, when you go to the doctor and he tells you you've got cancer, there's no point complaining about it. You need to get off and decide whether you want to live or not. And then you need to maximize the probability that that will happen. You know, I'm a, an empirical researcher. That's my job. You know, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you now as some sort of political ideologue or something. I, you know, I've got obviously political opinions, but that's neither here nor there. Right? The, 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 the issue here is, is, is are you organized? Like lots of countries around the world have got histories of civil disobedience. And before they were successful, they had the same thing, which is, you know, it will never happen here because, you know, you know, people in Portugal or Albania or whatever just don't do this sort of thing. Well, it's, to be honest with you, it's rubbish, right? But, you know, like civil disobedience is basically a function of effective organization. And the organization is about going into communities, talking to normal people, telling them the truth, you know, bringing them there together if in, in respectful um, participatory meetings, um, asking them to, you know, conditionally commit to break the law if critical mass of other people do it, training them so they're respectful towards the public and the police, and then, you know, organising the logistics of actually getting them to the right place at the right time. Now, oh, that sounds very boring, and, you know, it's like nice to have all these, you know, big chats about how terrible the world is, but that's not going to save us, right? What's going to save us is practical organisation, and um, it's entirely possible. You know, there's no, absolutely no reason why it can't happen in the United States. I mean, there's a plan. Some people are planning to set up, um, you know, up to five thousand extinction rebellion groups in the United States over the next year, and you know, they're just getting on with it. I mean, that's the other thing. There's no point waiting until someone gives you permission to this. You just go. This is how to do it. And if you go onto the extinction rebellion website. You can get the contacts and speak to the people and, and download the plans and what have you, and you can get going on it. Um, so, you know, that's why I, I know it sounds harsh. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no. I try to shake people out of, their, out of that sort of comfort zone of misery, right? Misery is quite comfortable. You don't mean you have to do anything. Oh, right? um, <laughs> and the other side of it is, is there's no point getting bitter and twisted about the people who do bad things. You know, this is another major, major problem. Like, if you're going to be effective in bringing about political change, the fact of the matter is you need to be respectful towards the opposition because that enables them to, you know, 
those faith, as it were, when they come to negotiations. And it's also, of course, morally quite hypocritical that everyone, like, you know, to varying extent, you know, implicated in this massive, terrible situation. So the most effective sort of students is not about, you know, mouthing off about police or mouthing off about, you know, Republicans or Trump or all the rest of that. Um, it's about saying, sticking with the main points, which is everyone is in everyone's interest, whether rich or poor or black or white, to engage in sort of students at this particular point in history. You know, if everything was all hunky-dory, then obviously, you know, people could engage in all their identity politics, and that would be quite functional. But at this point in time, it's massively indulgent to pretend that the old politics is, is still, um, you know, what what we can pursue. We've got a new situation, and we've got a crisis, and it's all hands on deck. I, I think it is exactly the right message. Stop complaining. Stop being self-indulgent. This is this is what people need to hear. Uh, we have just a, a few minutes left, and as someone who tries to end wars and would like to avoid nuclear apocalypse as well as climate apocalypse, I, I wonder whether uh, part of Extinction Rebellion-type efforts should include the idea that we can't go on dumping all of the resources that we need to protect the environment into wars for oil to control oil through militaries that are top consumers of petroleum and, and polluters of the world. Yeah, well, as I said, we can, you know, we can spend several hours talking about how terrible the world is. And, you know, I'm fully aware of that. I've been involved in radical politics, you know, for 35 years. Um, and, and there's all sorts of analysis on what should happen. But what I'm trying to communicate is, is it's all, we're just building castles in the air unless we go out on the street. You know, it, it's like we, we can, you know, pat each other on the back on our, how horrified we are about how, how bad things are, but it's not going to change anything. So what's going to change? What's going to change things is political struggle, not violent political struggle. For sure. And, um, but we've got peace it, groups. You know, we've got peace groups in the street on one day, and we've got environmental groups in the street on a different day. We don't have the two of them together. No, and they they need to come together because you know. I mean, I I spent thirty years organising people, you know, and I to be honest, I don't have particularly strong opinions. I've organised people in labour labour disputes and rent strikes and uh, you know peace movement type stuff. And you know, for me, it's it's like, yeah, all these things are important. But now, you know, that's not the case anymore, uh, objectively. Because the situation now is, is this overwhelming emergency because there is an overwhelming emergency. It's not a practical point I'm making. I'm not trying to say my story is more important than your story, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is something that if we don't get a grip on this, then basically everything that radical and well-meaning people have worked towards for the last two, three hundred years no, since the Enlightenment, since the American War of Independence, the French Revolution, all those things introduced the idea that people should be treated decently and to be given rights. That's our heritage. And all that, all that is going to go in the next 10 years, um, if not in the next 20 years, or maybe in the next four years. We don't quite know, right? But the point is, it's all hands on deck. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, it's really quite simple, <laughs> like most crises are. You know, if, you, if your kids are uh, burning to death, you know, on the top floor of, of your house, you don't sort of have a big debate about it, right? You know exactly what to do. You know, straighten their butt, knocking the door down, you're upstairs and save them. 
that's it. It's really not that complicated. And um, all right, um, it really requires people to 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 you know get together and get a grip. I, I wish we could go on. We're out of time. Uh, people, get to work. We'll have links up at talknationradio.org. Uh, Roger Hallam's book, which everyone should get a copy of and get some for your friends and one for your Congress member. It's called Common Sense for the 21st Century. Only Nonviolent Rebellion Can Now Stop Climate Breakdown and Social Collapse. Roger, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Yeah, well, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.